Right, so um, Neil and Kate, who lead the Southwest London Vineyard, which in case you didn't know is where you are this morning, um, they're away this week, so you stuck with me again. Um, yeah, that's the reaction. That's the reaction. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Mike. I'm married to Lindsay. Uh, we've been a part of this church for just over 12 years, and this month, I'm incredibly privileged to be celebrating three years of being on staff here. Um, Neil's been taking us through the book of Nehemiah over the last few months, and today I'm going to be sharing with you some thoughts on Nehemiah chapter 6. Just as a, as a recap for those of you who've missed any of the first five chapters, um, Nehemiah, who's cupbearer to the Persian king, gets news that Jerusalem, the city of his ancestors, lies in ruins. And straight away, the first thing he does is he prays. He then goes to the king, who's his boss, asks for some time off, some resources to go with him, and for letters of permission to go and rebuild the broken down city. When he gets to Jerusalem, Nehemiah inspects the walls of the city to see the extent of the work that needs to be done. He then invites all the people to join him in rebuilding the city. And there's an incredible response from all sorts of people, not only from Jerusalem itself, but from all the surrounding areas, saying, yes, where do we sign up? We're going to get involved. We want to see this project completed. And it's a bit like um, the, the amazing re- response we've had from the majority of you when we've said, look, we're moving to the ark. We're going to need lots of people to make this happen. And people have signed up for all sorts of things. In fact, I think Robert Bike signed up for pretty much every possible team available. Um, so if you're driving in the morning, you might see Robert pointing you to a car parking space, then welcoming you at the front door, then pouring you a cup of coffee um, after he's finished doing setup, and then you'll be in an orange t-shirt for kids, and then he'll be directing you out of your parking place. Um, no pressure, Robert. But if you haven't signed up, it's a great opportunity to, to get involved and become part of the family. And it's, you know, it's not just a blessing to us but it's, as a church, but it's a blessing to you to, to serve alongside other people in this church. So just get involved. It's, it'll, you know, it'll change your life. It's like joining a small group. In chapter 4, we then saw how Nehemiah handles the first sign of opposition against his people and his plans to rebuild the wall. Again, the first thing he does is he prays. Then in chapter 5, we, Neil showed us how Nehemiah best dealt with confrontation. And if you missed any of these previous five chapters, can I just encourage you to listen to number five? Number five was amazing, and um, it's got some real good life skills in there. So, on to chapter six. And today we'll see how Nehemiah deals with personal attack and the tools he uses to defend himself. So, if you've got a Bible or you've got your phone with an app on it, um, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter six. The words should appear up there somewhere. So, starting in verse 1. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messages to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message, 
and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up in your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day, I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabal, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had, been, that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God. Because of what they have done, remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elal in 52 days. We're going to stop there. So, when all else fails, when you can't stop activity at the grassroots level, when intimidation doesn't work, when you can't buy off the group, then you see the ante being upped by attacking the top man. And that's what Nehemiah 6 is all about. A personal attack that is now focused on Nehemiah the leader. Nehemiah now becomes the lightning rod, lightning, the lightning rod for all the hostility of the surrounding nations. It's like the old warfare tactic which says, shoot the generals, kill the officers, knock out the top dog, and the movement is going to fail. As Jesus said, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Now, personal attack against leaders has been a feature of the enemy's tactics throughout the history of the church. From the early days of Paul, um, in the first few centuries of the church, it was the elders and the deacons who were singled out by the Romans for severe persecution and martyrdom. In the 17th century, a man named John Bunyan, a Puritan, was put in jail for 12 years by the Anglican officials in England to get him to stop preaching the gospel. Go after the pastor, the elder, the bishop, the church planter, the missionary, and you snuff out the church. We, um, there's a, a couple named um, Andy and Pam Shaw who started the first vineyard in Zimbabwe. And in case you're wondering about my accent, that's where Lindsay and I were living before we, uh, we, were, we were actually born there. And we were living there before we came over here 12 years ago. Um, so... In 1995, um, Andy and Pam had a young, growing church, two young children. As was Andy's habit, um, early one morning he was in a secluded spot on the outskirts of Harare, and um, um, two two young men um, attacked him with a crowbar, beat him to death, and hid his body in the bushes, stole his wallet, 
which had about $2 in it, and his car radio, covered his car up with some bushes. Um, he, he wasn't found for a few days. It was a huge manhunt for him. Um, they eventually found him. They caught the two men who murdered him, and um, they were, yeah, they, they were, justice prevailed there. Um, but the head of the church was gone. The head of the family was gone. Um, and it was just, you know, and then another example of the, of the enemy trying by whatever means to, to stop his church. Um, that, that same church um, had a pastor that was sent up from, from Durban in South Africa. Um, a young couple by the name of Ivan and Stacey Ronald who took over the church. And that church was where, uh, where Lindsay and I first started dating. Um, I invited her to, to my brother's child's dedication there. That was our first official date. Um, it's where I recommitted my life to Jesus. And um, Ivan, Ivan Ronald married us, actually. So it's just a reminder of you, Jesus has won the war. Um, and, the, the, you know, the enemy is going to try and snuff us out in battles here and there. But Jesus has won the war and his, his church will prevail. So personal attacks come in lots of different forms. Physical attacks and the threat of physical attack. Slander and an attempt to morally compromise you. And today, as we move forward in our study of Nehemiah, we're going to consider the question of how to respond to personal attack. So just looking back, Nehemiah 6 verses 1 to 4 says, When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I'd rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, Though up to that time I'd not yet set the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messages to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Now, Nehemiah received this invitation very Innocently worded in verse 2. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. And this is a good thing to do. Let's get together and dialogue. Come, let's meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. These villages were only about a day's journey from Jerusalem. They were to the north, supposedly in a neutral territory. So basically they're saying, let's pick a neutral forum and chat. You know, we've had our differences, we've had our misunderstandings, but I think if we met together, we might come away with a deeper appreciation of each other's positions and perspectives. And I don't want you to hear in any way that that's generally a bad idea. As Neil was saying last week in chapter 5, which you're all going to go and listen to if you weren't here last week, um, if you have an issue with someone, do your best to sit down with them and confront the issue head on. As Christians... We ought to have a reconciling spirit. It ought to be the deepest desire of a Christian heart to have no one in the world with which you have a breach in relationship. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. The great presumption in our hearts ought to be to get together with someone with whom we've had the differences and to work things out. Or at the very least, to stop shooting at each other and to stop hurting each other. But sometimes the proposal to meet together is nothing more than a trap. Carrying on in verse 2, it says, 
but they were scheming to harm me. One of the major spiritual gifts that you need when you're on the front line of of kingdom advancement, which most of us in this church are, when you're reaching out to the homeless, helping out at job club or at food bank, or you're sharing your faith in a more open way at work, or on the bus, uh, you're involved in world missions, one of the greatest spiritual gifts that you need is the gift of discernment. So it's one of the great spiritual weapons in dealing with personal attacks. It allows us to ask the questions of, is this motivation coming from God? Is this a trap from the enemy? Unless we want to regularly walk into traps, we need to have God's mind and God's perspective. And we don't gain God's mind and God's perspective by watching Homeland or spending hours on Facebook or spending hours in the gym. We're not going to get God's mind and perspective unless we pray. Unless we really seek God before we enter into relationships or close associations or partnerships, or engagements, or romance. Nehemiah sensed the danger in this offer of dialogue, because he prayed. We've seen this throughout the book of Nehemiah, that he is regularly in prayer. Nehemiah did not make a major move or decision without praying. And a great prayer to pray when you wonder what's going on with the person, or when you're preparing to, to meet with someone, and you, it's, it's going to make a major change in your life, is, Lord, what are they really about? Something might be off here. Another great prayer is, Lord God, reveal the foundations. Bring to light what is hidden in the darkness. Smoke it to the surface. So if you, you have to ask yourself today, are you regularly being fooled by people? Are you taken in by sweet-talking Christian vocabulary and spiritual words? Is that all you need before you make a commitment in finances or time? We, um, we've just had a couple visiting us from, from Cape Town, and he was sharing with me how he, on his wedding day, he'd, he'd repeatedly um, put his relationship before God when he was dating his wife and when they were engaged. On his wedding day, he woke up, and he basically said, Lord, if this is not the path that you have for me, then please tell me now, and I'll call it off. He's a brave man. <laughs> but it's such a great question to ask, and it's, it's what we need to repeatedly be asking ourselves. Is this the plan that you have for me, Lord? Um, Proverbs 27, verse 12, says this. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. Some might say, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the sucker keeps going and, su- and suffers for it. So are we a people who are discerning, or do we regularly suffer because we suckers for sweet talk and smooth phrases? The other major protection against the deception of dialogue is focused attention. Every leader who is worth anything understands that most attacks, most criticism, most traps are at the very least designed to get you to stop doing what you are called to do. That so many of the little gnats that come come your way and nip at your heels are Satan's way of causing you to waste your time, energy, and emotional strength. To stay up at night and worry. To write letters. Spend hours on the phone. Spend hours 
trolling the internet looking for answers. If Satan can't kill you, what he can do is distract, distract you. And look at, look at Nehemiah's response in verse 3. So I sent messages to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Any step away from the calling that God has put on your life is a step down. From the perspective of the people of God, any place away from Jerusalem was a step down. And I would say that anything away from your kingdom calling is a step down. We cannot let crises and attacks keep us from the big things that God has called us to do. Carol Wimber, who together with her husband John, um, founded the first vineyard church in the States that then grew on to be the global vineyard movement that that this church is a part of. She wrote a, a sweet biography on the life of her husband John called John Wimber, the way it was. And in it she says this, It was my understanding from God that we would have enough grace to do the job God gave us to do, but not more. Therefore, if we stopped to defend ourselves or fight back, we wouldn't have enough grace to finish the race. We would get bogged down forever explaining and defending. Consequently, there was the sense of having to fix our eyes on Jesus with blinders on so that we wouldn't get distracted and stop the work that God had given us to do. John was called to lead a movement, to plant churches, to bring renewal. If he stopped and answered the critics all the time, that work would grind to a halt. So let me ask a personal question here this morning. Have we allowed ourselves to become distracted from the big thing God wants us to do? Being the best mother you can be, the best father, being a great great witness in your workplace. Are you falling short of the prize because you keep getting bogged down by all these petty attacks. Well, the enemy is more than willing to change his tactics, if that's what's called for. If plan A doesn't work, Satan is perfectly willing to switch to plan B. Let's face it, for most of us, plan A works over and over again. The enemy pulls on the same hook in our lives, and we almost always have the same response. Something stimulates a family member to say something hurtful or puts us in a situation where we feel criticized and, and we always sink into self-pity. Just dangle some sort of temptation in front of us and we give in all the time. But for many people, if plan A, a threat of physical attack doesn't work, then, then plan B, Satan attacks your reputation. He slanders you and that's what he did to Nehemiah in verses 5 to 9. Then, the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us confer together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up in your head. They are all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Now as an open letter, this letter wasn't sealed, so the messenger would have had access to it. 
And it would have been sure to spread like wildfire throughout the community. You and the Jews are planning a revolt. Therefore, you are rebuilding the wall. You're about to become a king. You've appointed prophets to make this proclamation. Nehemiah, you are personally ambitious. You're a rebel. You're a threat to the government. So, have you ever been slandered? Have you ever had someone or a group accuse you of something? Or perceive you in a way that was totally false and completely unjust and unwarranted? Have you ever had someone accusing you of being a liar when you know you've been nothing but truthful? Have you had someone accusing you of poor work ethic when you know that you're the hardest working member of your team? And just to be clear, it's not slander when someone draws a very reasonable inference from our own behavior. In chapter 5, we saw how Nehemiah confronted people because of their blatant behavior. But Nehemiah had nothing to hide here. He didn't live in a secretive way. He wasn't trying to hide his plans. He was not unwilling to submit to those above him. Nehemiah had laid out his plans and had received prior approval from the king. The the king agreed to allow Nehemiah to rebuild the wars. The king supplied him with materials. Nothing in his behavior ever showed that he was planning to revolt against the king. But slander is something that virtually every leader who has ever had an impact has suffered from. And we kind of have to ask ourselves, if we're not being slandered in some way, are we really having an impact on the kingdom of God? Jesus himself had his reputation continually attacked. So if you've been slandered, you're in good company. In John 8, Jesus' opponents called him a drunkard, a Samaritan. They called him demonized. They said, this man is not from God. They said, this man is a sinner. This man is crazy. They accused him of trying to destroy the temple. It's impossible to have an impact on the kingdom of God without being slandered. So, how do you respond to slander as a general rule? Well, if you're Nehemiah, you ignore it. You make your appeal to God, as Nehemiah does in verse 9. They are trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. It's really quite simple, you just ignore it. You don't let it distract you from the primary thing that God has called you to do. There is a time to to defend yourself from unjust criticism. If the criticism is undermining the message or the work that God has called you to accomplish, then you need to respond. Jesus told us to pray for those who slander us, but occasionally he responded to criticism. He made a defense when the criticism was liable to undermine people's capacity to put faith in him. The next thing the enemy might try to do is to compromise our reputation. Reading on from verse 10, it says this. One day, I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of another hard word, who was shut in at his home. I'm, I'm tired of trying to pronounce words this morning. So, He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should one like me... Go into the temple to save his life. I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me, 
so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Here, what the enemy is doing is attempting to compromise Nehemiah's integrity. Let us meet in the house of God, inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. But this statement comes to Nehemiah in the form of a prophetic oracle. It's meant to be a prophecy. In this case, it's a false prophecy. Prophecy, And if you've been around here long enough, we always encourage you, if someone gives you a prophetic word, weigh it up. Is it biblical? Does it feel like, like it's from God? Um, is it in the scriptures? So, Nehemiah, in it with his discerning hat on, he, um, he says this. He said, he had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. And it wasn't simply that Nehemiah would become, un- would become afraid and he would be discredited as a coward, someone who was fleeing. And that's one thing that opponents, um, that opponents do. They try to intimidate us. They suggest that we're cowards. And no one, no one likes to be called a coward. I certainly don't like to be called a coward. Um, the attempt to discredit Nehemiah was not just causing people to think he was a coward, but it's also trying to, trying to get him to commit a sin. You see, the only people who were permit, permitted into the temple were priests. If you weren't a priest... You were permitted to go into the courtyard, but not the temple itself. Nehemiah wasn't a priest, and they thought that by intimidating him, by causing him to fear, he would say, well, even though this violates God's law for me to be in the temple, in this case, maybe it's what I ought to do. We need to realize that one of the major things the enemy is always attempting to have us do is compromise our integrity. See, if he can get us to compromise, to lose our honor, we will lose our ability to stand strongly for the cause that he's called us to. Nehemiah always turns to God for strength. Help me, Lord. Strengthen my hands. Help me not to give way to compromise. Before we left Zimbabwe, there was, um, there was rampant corruption in the police force. Not that it's got any better since we left. It's, if anything, it's worse. But um, we, were, we were stopped one day because we were speeding. Um, Lindsay must have been driving because I would, I would never be speeding. But, um, no, I, I, was, I, I was driving, just to be clear. <laughs> I was driving. So the policeman comes up to me and he says, um, that'll be $10,000 if you want a receipt or $5,000 if you don't want a receipt. So I said, uh, I'd like a receipt, please. So... He explains it to me again, probably thinking I was a bit simple. No, you don't understand. It's $10,000 if you want a receipt, but $5,000 if you don't want a receipt. And of course, if there's no receipt, then he can just pocket the money. Um, anyway, I insisted on a receipt. He thought I was crazy. And um, there was just no way I was going to bribe him. I, I, I just, we just made up our mind. We, we were not going to bribe the police. And so we got our receipt. So when the enemy comes with an offer to compromise, how do we respond? Look at the way Nehemiah responds in verse 11. But I said, should a man like me run away, or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. 
There are few things that will create in you a greater sense of dedication to the cause of Christ, a greater commitment to personal holiness, a greater willingness to refuse all offers of compromise than by recognizing who we are. Should a man like me run away, should one like me go into the temple? So, who are we? Do you ask yourself that question when you're being tempted? Who am I? Who do I see myself in the, who do I see myself as in this moment? If we are followers of Jesus Christ, the Bible says we are children of God. We are sons and daughters of the King of all creation. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the dwelling place of the God on earth. We are the house of God. There is no physical temple anymore. We are the temple of God where we find holy God on earth. We are witnesses to the truth of Christianity. So how could I, being what I am, a follower of Christ, a child of the one true God, agree to bribe a police officer just to save a few dollars? See, if we have no personal identity, if we look at ourselves and we say, what am I? I'm nothing. I'm just a man or a woman. I'm just here in this world to make a buck. I'm just a person who's trying to get along and survive in this day and age then we have no, no building blocks to not make compromises along the way. We're an example to the world that God saves people. We're an example to the world that God can redeem marriages. We're disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. We are people who claim to live by the will of God. So, the way to fight compromise to look at yourself in the mirror and say, who is that person staring back at me? Is this person in the mirror a professed follower of Jesus Christ? Nehemiah said, me, being who I am, could never do such a thing. So let me ask you this question this morning. Are you a child of God? We all sing the song with, with, with gusto, as they like to say at Bethel, but are you sure of it? And if you're not sure of who you are, and you don't consider yourself to be a son or daughter of the one true God, and you want to know him, then we'd love to pray with you this morning. And if you're tired of being distracted or sidetracked from your one true calling, and you want increased discernment or just some discernment to spot the attacks of the enemy, then we'd love to pray with you this morning. And... If you, if you feel under attack and you, you, just, you just don't know how to respond and you, you just don't know where to turn to next, we'd love to pray for you this morning. But if you're sitting here this morning and you go, I don't know what you're talking about, Mike. No one pulls the wool over my eyes. Nothing distracts me from the mission that God's given me. No one cons me into doing anything I don't want to do or anything that God hasn't called me to do. That's great. Because you need to pray for the people that come forward for prayer this morning. Because God has given you the gift of discernment. And you need to pass that on. So, let's get the band back.